Welcome back. This week, I talk with Kevin Kelly. Kevin is the co-founder of Wired Magazine. He is an author. He is a futurist and an optimist. And in this conversation, I got to say, I wish I could talk with Kevin more. He brings such a light to what go is going on in the world and his outlook on the future. And in a lot of ways, I agree with him 100%. Uh, we live in an incredible time. And as we move forward in life uh, with new technologies and artificial intelligence and all these sort of things, we will use them to for for better, for good. And in a lot of ways, when you're watching the news or social media, you can get a weird perspective on where we are um, in time. And I just really appreciate his outlook on things. And that's exactly what we talk about today. We talk about his new book, Advice for Living, Wisdom, I Wish I'd Known Earlier. So check that out in the show notes. But like I said, Kevin is awesome. Um, we talked through his journey. We talked through artificial intelligence. We talked through his vision of the future and how technology is going to play a role in that. So we cover a lot, but it was an awesome conversation. Kevin has accomplished, has accomplished a ton in his career, and I truly enjoyed having him on. Another company I love is Rebel Rabbit. And what they're trying to do for the future is socialize smarter and healthier. And their seltzers are infused with Delta 9 cannabis THC. So they are alcohol free. So we all know how bad alcohol is for you. Um, the science is only proving it more and more. It's going to affect your sleep. It's going to affect your brain. It's going to affect your organs. It's going to affect so many things. And we need to socialize smarter and healthier. And Rebel Rabbit their seltzers are, they have two different levels right now, a wild hair and a mild hair. So no matter what level you are, they have something for you. Is an incredible alternative to alcohol. So you can socialize, you can have a drink in your hand, you can feel that feeling of being out and, and doing something like that, um, but you're doing it in a healthier way. You're gonna wake up um, feeling refreshed. You're not gonna get bad sleep. This is gonna help you get good sleep. You're gonna be able to be productive in the days following. So their link is in the show notes. Go to their website, drinkrebelrabbit.com. If you use promo code LIFE20, you'll get 20% off your order. They're also racking up the retailers all over the country, um, so you can find the closest retailer to you and just go pick it up or order from their website, and they have a great customer service team and delivery department that'll get you your order so fast. And uh, another thing, if you're drinking Rebel Rabbit and you're thinking about your health and you're thinking about the future after listening to Kevin Kelly, you might want a new mattress, and the team at Engineered Sleep is the best. They are local to my hometown of Greenville, South Carolina. Their products are second to none. Their customer service team is the best. They come at a great price point, and they've been making mattresses for as long as I've been alive. I think uh, the founder's granddad started the business a long, long time ago. Their link is in the show notes as well. If you use promo code LIVE15, you'll get 15% off your order. Their website is engineeredsleep.com. So go get yourself a new mattress. Get yourself some Rebel Rabbit seltzers so you're drinking and socializing smarter and start being an optimist and thinking um, the future is bright for all of us. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Kevin Kelly. Kevin Kelly, thank you so much for joining me on Memorial Day. We just said that our bosses didn't let us off. But first off, man, how are you doing? I'm really doing great. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it too. Um, we share... 
at least I know one thing in common, and that is being optimist. And I was just telling my wife I was having you on, and she was super excited because we were watching some of your TED Talks and some of your prior videos, and it just mm-hmm. like made us realize how if you want to be an optimist and look at how things have changed over time, like it really has been positive. So, but I want to take, take, go through your story in a way. So talk me through, where'd you go to college? Mm. I went to uh, the university of Rhode Island and I dropped out after one year. Why did you drop out? I dropped out because I could not continue sitting in a classroom for grade 13 and 14. What I needed to do at the time was a gap year or internship, none of which were available at the time. I needed to do something on my own other than sit in the classroom. It was just going to drive me bananas. And I needed a project. I needed to make stuff. I needed to, you know, engage with the world. And um, today there's plenty of choices where you can do that after high school. But I didn't. The only option was to drop out and to kind of invent my own life. And that was a big thing back then because there was such a huge difference between going, if you had a college degree and you didn't back back then in 1970. And so um, I was kind of signing up for a very different path. Path, sure. I know. uh, Yeah. Did you immediately start writing? What was your kind of first job or first path out of college? I... Uh, did not start writing. I was really interested in photography, and photography was kind of a of a new. Well, to do photography back then, you had to know chemistry. You had to do chemistry. It was you had to develop all your film yourself. You had a process that you had no optics to print the stuff. It was a very technical thing, and that merged my interest in both science and art. It was a nice kind of in between hybrid because mm-hmm. you had to be very technical and know and do art. And so I um, set off to photograph in Asia to become a photographer. I called up National Geographic. I was 19. I called up National Geographic. said, I'm going to go to Taiwan and Japan do any photographs. And I, I found their name in the yellow pages. And the editor says, You know, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> <laughs> It doesn't work that way. But when you come back, show me your pictures. Show me your stuff, which I did for, yeah. for several times. I was on my way to become a National Geographic photographer. That's what I wanted. But um, so there was no writing involved. It was just very much visual, just taking taking pictures. And, you know, with a camera that, by the way, has was not automatic and has no screen on it. So... Mm-hmm getting everything right was was an art sure i can i can see how that is and i can remember the old like rooms where they had to do like put their pictures on the walls yeah the dark rooms to get them to i guess come out the way they wanted them to come out but eventually you do get into writing because i saw in 1993 you found you found ed wired but before that you were working for other publications so what was your journey or your path through those earlier years in your career right so i set off without with basically accepting that I would not have a career that's that was kind of what I was signing up for when you dropped out of college and I was um, you know doing photography um, and I kept doing it and I would work 
get, get work, to travel more, to get more, to buy more film, um, to develop the film. And um, over time, eventually, um, I graduated from that and I came back when I was 29 or so, deciding that I should probably do something career-ish. <laughs> probably, you know, <laughs> try and, you know, make some money, whatever. And um, I said, well, the thing I know, what do I know that nobody else knows? What do I know more about than anybody else? It wasn't photography because there are a lot of photographers, but what I knew about, which was just beginning, was budget travel. Mm -hmm. I figured out how, and I and I met other budget travelers, and I met people who were writing, start writing the books. So there was this guy that I met um, named Rick Steves, who um, had a travel book to Europe, and there was a Tony and Maureen Wheeler, and they had some books that they were uh, writing a book that one book that they wrote called um uh lonely planet and there was so so there are all these travel beginning of the travel budget thing and i started to write about travel and review the travel books and then i started my own mail order company selling mm -hmm. the travel budget travel guides and that's how i started writing was was basically like a budget travel newsletter very cool, and I know uh, because, I knew, because I knew something about it. Yeah, and that that makes a lot of sense. And you know, you talk about today, like you don't have to. Be, you need to be somewhere along the lines of be like being the only one doing something, or like being more specific yeah. about what you do. And that makes a lot of sense for even early on in your career, you're kind of finding that niche um, right. that not many people were doing. Right. Were right, you right. were you an op? Optimist at this time, like when did you start formulating that idea in your brain? I think I think I was generally temperamentally an optimist. I think I was very trusting of strangers. I think I thought well of people. I think I assumed I tried to assume the best. I wasn't optimistic in a kind of formal sense. I didn't think mm -hmm. about I didn't care about technology or the world or the state of the world or wars and politics. I wasn't really that interested in it at all. So I think just my basic stance in life when I met a stranger was to trust the stranger. Mm -hmm. Trust the stranger. And um, I figured that if I got cheated, that was just a small price to pay because the amount of value I got it from trusting strangers overall was so much greater than whatever I got cheated out of. That I saw that as a tax, mm -hmm. as a tiny tax. So um, I think it was, I think, a temperamentally. But as I became older and understood more of how the world worked and the role of technology and the role of um, policy, I became a kind of more of a deliberate optimist in understanding the value of, of having an optimistic view and what it brought to the world. So I was sort of a inadvertent, casual optimist in the beginning. How do you, your mindset to be an optimist? How is that? Like you, you come across, you wake up, there's a challenge, there's a problem. Like instead of maybe looking yeah, yeah. at it in a negative light, you, you flip it around. So there is something called learned optimism. That's child psychologist. So you can teach your child to be more optimistic. And one of the things that they've understood, one of the things that they teach basically to the children is that um, 
setbacks are just temporary. Setbacks are temporary. They're not your identity. It's not that you're an unlucky person. They're, they're inevitable and they're temporary. And so that shifting away from the identity. So um, people can say, well, I'm just unlucky and all the bad things happened to me. Mm -hmm. I'm never going to get away from this. I deserve it, whatever it is. And um, so, so that kind of, of optimism can, can be learned. And, and, I found one of the most helpful things to being optimistic as an adult is again with this idea of setbacks or temporary is to take a longer view, to take a long view of the past and a longer view of the future. Just elevate your time horizon from one year to 10 years to 20 years to 25 years. You can accomplish an incredible amount of stuff in 10 years that are unthinkable in six months. And if you take a long view of history, you understand that progress is real. Incredible benefits that we have today. Mm -hmm. It's real. And they're going to continue because the conditions are still the same. And if you take a 20-year horizon, setbacks are just temporary. Stock market, if you're in for the long haul, stock market can go up and down. There can be tremendous downturns, recessions. It doesn't matter. If you take the longer view, because over time, compounding is going to overcome even fairly large setbacks. Mm -hmm. So you become more optimistic. And then finally, um, an optimist understands that you're an optimist not because of problems are smaller than you think. We're embracing optimism. Acknowledges the problems. There's no. It's not that there's no problems. It's that our capacity to solve problems keeps increasing. Okay, so that's where the optimism comes. Future generations, they're going to figure out even more than we have. We're they're getting better at it. So, so take a longer view of things, and you'll be more optimistic. With um, and I don't know if this is correct statistically. But I feel like there's more negativity that we see today just because of the news cycle and social media and all this, you know, information overload that we have coming at us, whether it be true or false. Mm -hmm. What do you think is misunderstood about what people think about the situation right, we live right. in today from what it was 30 years ago? So bad news travels fast and bad news happens faster than good news. Mm hmm. And this is a time horizon. Bad things happen fast. Good things take time to to happen. So, if you are just going to ask what happened in the last five minutes, it's all going to be bad stuff. <laughs> if you say what happened in the last decade, then you can talk about the great stuff. And so, news itself, and it doesn't matter what the quality of the news is, whether it's the highest regarded, the best or the worst, it doesn't matter. The news, by and large, is going to be bad news mm -hmm. because they're talking about what's happened in the last five minutes, the last day, whatever. It's mostly going to be bad. And so um, don't pay too much attention to the news in that respect. You have to take a longer view of, of it and say, yes, you know, these, the good news is hidden. It's incomplete. It won't be completed for another decade. But that good news trumps all the bad news, overcomes it, overwhelms it. So 
Um, so yeah, I would say try not to pay too much attention to the news um, because it's inherently, by definition, not going to be good because the good stuff is just going to take years, decades, maybe a century. Do to, you have a, Do you have a certain way or mindset that you go about, like staying up to date on what's going on? Well, for when I had when I had um, a subscription to newspapers, like the New York Times, I would and the Wall Street Journal, I would read them a month later. Wow! <laughs> I let them stack up because you could just turn through most of the stuff. It just didn't. It was just froth. It was just was not important mm -hmm. and occasionally every you know there might be one piece of, inf of of an article that was interesting a month later um because it was operating on a different time scale so for you know for most of the daily stuff it it, it, it isn't consequential so ignore it just yeah. just gloss over it don't get bogged down in it don't take it personally um you know, don't be outraged. Mm -hmm. So um, choose not to be outraged today would be my <laughs> would be my <laughs> bit of advice is choose not to be outraged today. Maybe tomorrow, but not today. Yeah, for real. Because too many people get outraged over right. way too little of stuff. For somebody that might be pessimistic, what would you tell them to like change their mindset to be an optimistic person? Take a longer view. Don't read the news, um, and um, work with people who are younger than yourself. Why do you say that? Well, the next generation is inherently um, uh, smarter than the previous generation, and um, I think you can trust the future. Um, that's what we have to do. Mm -hmm. We take the longer view. We're trusting the future to, com to complete things, to to solve the problems that we created. And you want to have some confidence in that. And if you work with younger people, you can get that confidence that they can solve the problems that we're creating today. Yeah, very true. With, with shaping the future, I know uh, one of your recent TED Talks was about how optimists will, will, will shape the future. Can you talk me through your mindset around that? Well, um, all the cool things that we have today, from our phones to electric vehicles to um, you know, antibiotics to you know the vaccines, mRNA vaccines to anything else that you you know this microphone in front of us, all these things were invented by someone who, by a, a person who at that time believed that these were possible to make mm -hmm. when most people did not believe it. It seemed impossible, unlikely, and they imagined them and they believed that they could really be real and they made them. And so our current world is shaped by the optimists of the past. And our future world, where we're headed in our future, is going to be likewise shaped by those people today 
who believe in something that seems unlikely, whether self-driving cars or rocket ships to Mars. Um, and uh, they are imagining them, and then they're believing that they're true. They're optimistic. Mm -hmm. And so they're the ones who are going to make this world. It's going to be made by the people who believe it could be made and should be made and imagining it as it should be made, and they're going to make it. Mm -hmm. So so it's the optimists of today who are going to shape the future of tomorrow. With um, a lot a lot of noise today, or things we hear today, is about how technology, and especially AI, will play a role in the future. How do you see that? Absolutely, yes. Um, AI is right now a little overhyped in terms of what the current AI can do, but it's overall underhyped in terms of the long term. So in the short term, it's a little overhyped, and in the long term, it's still underhyped in terms of its of total effect. I'm not worried about employment. That's the non-issue. It's not really going to affect massive unemployment. There won't be that. Um, there are other issues. The bias issue is correctable. Um, we have issues. We have um, challenges with it weaponizing it. Mm -hmm. I think those are legitimate concerns to 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 really work through. Um, but by and large, I think the stance that we want to have with the AIs is that they're partners. Right now, they're kind of like your universal personal intern that everybody gets. Um, over time, they'll become more like teammates for many people or partners even in, in terms of creating and making things. Um, but their their main thing is that they do not think like humans. They're very smart. They're creative. They may even be conscious at some point. Mm -hmm. But they're not going to be like humans. They're going to be like Spock on Star <laughs> Trek. They're going to be artificial aliens where we make them and we work with them because they think a little differently mm -hmm. than us. And alone, they're not as powerful as us. And But humans alone are not as powerful as the team of the AI plus the humans. So AI plus humans is better than humans and better than the AIs. Where do you see, for somebody that maybe isn't very informed about AI, or that could be, you know, just where they live or, you know, what they take in on a daily basis, can you kind of explain like different roles you could see AI taking or like helping out in? Most of the AI we're going to be using will never be seen, it'll be invisible. Kind of like plumbing. It's behind the walls. You don't even want to, you won't notice it unless it stopped working. Mm -hmm. And so it's going to be like electricity or motors, just ubiquitous, doing things that we're not even aware of doing. There will be some that are front facing, that it will be personally facing, that we'll interact with. Right now, the big innovation in AI is not really the capabilities, which have been around for a while, but the fact that we have a conversational user interface that we can actually converse with it, which is a very natural thing for humans to do. So we'll have this thing that we can converse with. But the thing about the AIs, plural, is that they're going to be hundreds, thousands of different varieties, and they will all have their own personalities and their own uses. Um, they're not, it's not like one AI. It's just many, many, it's like many machines. We don't have a the machine. <laughs> you don't have a machine. We have machines, plural. 
and we have lots of them in our lives and they do different things and they have different qualities and different strengths and the same with the AIs. They'll be already, we see, we have the generative art AIs. We've got the text chat GBT AIs. We've got self-driving car AIs. They're not the same. They're going to have a little different needs, a little different ways to work with them. And so I think the future looks like multiple AIs and different people will have different preferences. Some people will like the AIs that they have to be polite to, others will not. And so um, I, I think, you know, there'll be some commonalities of them, but I think a lot of times we're going to have a, we're going to accuse them of being dumb smartin, meaning that <laughs> they're going to be so smart in one area and so dumb in mm -hmm. another. It's like, how are you so dumb smartin? You can <laughs> drive a car, but you can't figure out uh, my math problem, you know, yeah, whatever. Sure, so, sure. so um, we already see that with some of the um, image generators. They can be so smart, but so dumb in other respects. How do you see some type of technology like Neuralink playing um, with humans yeah. in the future? I went to visit Neuralink recently and saw, saw all the monkeys. Wow. Um, it's amazing. So they, yeah, they can control a video game joystick just by with their brains just by thinking Lord. and um the first uses that we're going to be other and they just got uh approved this week for human trials mm -hmm. and um the uses is going to be to help people who are paralyzed to walk okay so they're very they're very good and very narrow um uses um i think it's going to be a long time before <laughs> majority of people will have implants. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is a pretty serious thing. Putting an implant the size of a quarter in the back of your skull. But there are other versions where you can use near-infrared light in a skull cap and read your, your brain. So taking the broader technologies of computer-mind interface I thought those were 100 years away. I think maybe they're 25 years away. And um, it's kind of like smart classes in the metaverse. It's not really clear exactly what the first uses will be mm -hmm. besides the medical, you know, therapeutic uses of it. Um, I'm sure gamers will be using these to some extent. Mm-hmm. If if actually they can speed up, if if they can, you know get faster than twenty milliseconds, whatever it is that their limit is now, so if there's a if there's a speed increase, the gamers will be onto it right away. Mm -hmm. Beyond them, um, I don't know. I, I really have I really don't know what it is, and that's the thing, important thing to remember about these new technologies is that. Even like ChatGPT, ChatGPT can do things that the inventors had no idea they could do. Yeah, it requires using technologies to figure out what is really good for. It will be requiring using the neural links and the um, the headsets uh, to find out what they're good for. But but nonetheless, there will be people who want to regulate it 
from the first day. And I think that's just terrible. That's premature regulation. I think regulation <laughs> is great, but you don't want to do it early. It may take years to figure out the strength and weaknesses and the harms. Um, and so we want to back off on the premature regulation and let things, um, we, we need to use things yeah. for a generation before we can figure out what they're good and bad for. Do you see AI, is there already, learn? are they already learning? Like learning new, like, like if you were, it was not programmed, is it constantly learning? So I know what you're talking about, the self-learning, re recursive learning, mm -hmm. where the more it's being used, the more it learns. Mm -hmm. Right now, that learning is done by hand. So um, there isn't the automatic self-learning in most of these. Uh, there is within a mild sense of the training set where they self-learn, but in terms of what you're talking about, where they actually get smarter, so to speak, that's not happening automatic. Gotcha. And there's also something called transfer learning, which is not happening very much right now. And that is like, if you learn how to play one game, say chess, you could transfer some of those learnings to play checkers mm -hmm. or to play go. That also is not happening automatically. It's very hard to do that transfer learning from learning something and being trained in one domain and transferring to another domain. That's the goal, but there's not much of that happening right now. Got it. I, thought, I was reading an article about how, I'm not sure what AI it was or <clears throat> or what machine it was, but it, it programmed a couple of languages and then they came back a few weeks later and it had learned some of the like alternate languages of the same language, which I thought yeah. was, that was pretty incredible. <laughs> That does work. Google, the the same algorithms that Google use for like spell correction in English worked in all the languages. Mm -hmm. The real time, so you can real time translate between English and Chinese, and you can probably do it between Tagalog and Spanish. Mm -hmm. Okay, so so in that sense, it's transfer, but it's not. It's not really transfer. They aren't taking learning languages and then being able to learn mathematics. It's not. Gotcha. Um, so, so it's, I would say it's in mild forms. It's not really a very significant transfer yet. Gotcha. Makes sense. One of your more recent books is the excellent, a life or excellent advice for living. It talks about how you took all these kind of life tips over your life and put them into a book. Can you explain really how'd you decide to write this book? publish this book and then I want to talk about a few of the tips you have in there yeah um, I've been collecting the little bits of Proverbs since I first heard the gospel I mean like Jesus was really good at distilling a lot of information into a very memorable phrase and I was collecting other bits of advice from other people around the world that just as a I just love the format. I love the the genre of a proverb or a quote. But then as I got older and had kids, the three kids, um, I when they were young adults, I decided that even though we hadn't really given very much advice in words, we were trying to model the advice. Mm -hmm. Just a better way. 
that there were some things, there were some benefit to putting things down into papers so that you could repeat themselves. So, so the thing about learning advice is that you need to have it repeated. And we weren't around anymore to model it, so we were, so I thought I'd put it down into paper so they could reread them and be reminded of them. So these are really kind of reminders. And they work for me too. I was often writing down things that I wanted to repeat to myself to help me learn and change my behavior. So I started writing these. I gave them as a gift for my kids when um, I was 68. And then they kind of went viral. I was encouraged to do it another couple of years on birthdays after that. And I gradually accumulated 450 of them, but they were spread around the internet. And I thought it would be handy to have them collected into a book that you could hand somebody young. Mm -hmm. So now they're in a book a tiny book of 450 bits, little zip files. You can kind of unpack them, read one and unpack it. And um, they're like little tweets in some senses, mm -hmm. kind of mm -hmm. suitable to this attention span. Um, and they're meant to encapsulate entire books into one sentence. People have said that you don't really remember books, you remember sentences in books. And so this is a book of sentences. That's all there is. <laughs> 450 sentences. And um, a lot of people have told me that, look, my kids don't listen to me. They don't take my advice, but they will take your advice. So I hand them my book. <laughs> it's the same advice. <laughs> right? what, are, uh, what are a few of your favorite sentences in the book? Yeah. Oh, boy. I almost... They're all they're all my children. I'm they're all none of no favorite children, but I can um kind of open them up almost at random. Um uh some of it's practical. The four most powerful words in any negotiation should be uttered by you. Can you do better? Right? Some <laughs> advice to my kids. Um you can find no better medicine for your family than regular meals together without screens. That's some um, solid advice. <laughs> right, right. Uh, there is no such thing as being on time. Either you're late or you're early. Mm -hmm. Your choice. Okay. Um, so uh, when you're in the wrong, be quick to chastise yourself more severely than the grieved might. Paradoxically, this can soften their ire. So, yeah, it's like you, you mess up, confess it. Mm -hmm. I was terrible and then it really does work wonders um, so anyway I'm just you know when you feel like quitting just do five more five more minutes five more pages five more steps and then sure. repeat sometimes you can break through and keep going even if you can't you just ended up five more steps ahead than you were <laughs> yesterday so yeah anyway there's just tons of them um, this one I learned Never ask someone if they're pregnant. Let them tell you. Yep. I have a funny story <laughs> about my dad about that. <laughs> oh, yeah? yeah. Oh, What's yeah. The story? My dad, um, I don't think he'll mind me telling this one. He, he, he owned restaurants a lot um, growing uh, up. And uh, his first restaurant was a sandwich shop. It was called Ginny Lee's. And, you know, he was working behind the counter and a young lady walked up and um, he congratulated her on her pregnancy. Um, <laughs> he quickly found out that she wasn't pregnant 
and uh that's a life lesson that he passed on to me that you know you don't you never you never assume right that they're pregnant you gotta tell you (laughs) exactly right and they will tell you if you (laughs) get a chance yeah The team and the people at Engineered Sleep are offering you 15% off if you use promo code LIVE15 to get a new mattress. And I cannot tell you enough how much trust I have in the team at Engineered Sleep and the product they will provide to you if you have any questions about your current mattress. If you're getting bad sleep and you think it might be your mattress, it's time to upgrade your mattress. And the team at Engineered Sleep is here to do that for you. Use promo code LIVE15. You'll get 10% off your order. But most importantly, you're going to be working with an amazing company. You're going to have an amazing product. And you're going to start sleeping better at night. And you'll start performing better on a daily basis. So go to engineeredsleep.com. Use promo code LIVE15. Get 15% off your order and start sleeping better and performing better on a daily basis. How, uh, how do your, like your children, I mean, I'm sure they're like, have heard these, you know, over and over again. Has there been a few that have always stuck no, out they, with they, them? Well, no. So I, I gave them the book. They said that we never heard you say these, <laughs> but, but you did teach them to us. And that's, that was what our goal was. We wanted to teach them without saying it. So we never, we actually never said those. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted uh, to touch on, you said, you, you would want to model these things for your children. Yeah. Was there something that you knew or, you know, the difference between telling and actually modeling, like leading by example? Right. Yeah. So um, you want to model generosity, model charitable giving, model um, patience, whatever it is, without having to tell them just sort of that that's how we were. That's how we would do things they would see us maybe versus other parents whatever and they would say oh this is how you do things so i'm modeling it like uh curiously i don't swear my wife doesn't swear um we never never once ever brought up the the topic of swearing or what you say or your language or what's prohibitive or what's not or what's good or never even ever was it mentioned but none of my kids swear and again we never even talked about it. Never said it was bad. Never said it was good. Never said anything about it. I was I was shocked. I was surprised because um, we didn't say we couldn't, and we didn't say it was bad or good, whatever. So that's just an example of of modeling. Mm-hmm. With um, you touched on it early on is about how you've traveled, and I'm sure you've traveled you know, much more since those early days being a photographer. But can you speak about one of your favorite places to travel? <laughs> well, yeah. So to, for, for those listening, is I, I spent basically 50 years traveling in Asia. I first went to Asia after dropping out of college and um, continued to go and um, briefly lived in parts there. But I um, wound up marrying someone from Asia. Our kids are bilingual. I go there often for my business. A lot of my business turned out to be in Asia, so I would combine business trips with personal travel. I worked on a 50-year project of documenting the remote parts of Asia. I mean, really remote, um, into these three volumes. Um, And most of my fans, most of my readers are actually in China. So I'm I'm a big 
hit in China. I go there a lot. So where where is the best place to travel? I would say if you've never been to Asia, a great place to start is to go to Japan. It's I really want to go to Japan. It's sufficiently other and different to really work as medicine, but it's very easy to travel. And these days, it's actually not expensive. Actually, you can travel in Japan pretty cheaply. And um, it's so easy to travel around. I, 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 my, uh, my first time to Japan in 72, I hitchhiked for five months with almost very little money. It was an incredible experience. Um, the Japanese have a weird sense of hitchhiking, which is great for hitchhiking, which is they feel obligated. Once they give you a ride, they feel obligated to get your next ride. They can't leave you on the side of the road. Oh, they actually man. have to. They can't leave until you have a ride. So they're going to fly down the next person <laughs> and make them take you. It was like, oh, that's golden, man. That's that's really great. So so it's other. It's other. And yeah, it's perfectly, of course, you know, famously safe and incredibly hospitable to, to traveling. And I've never had a bad. I mean, I've always, it's always interesting. So that's a great place to start. Another option is I've never had a bad time in Bali, Indonesia, this unique island in the middle um, of Indonesia. And um, I would say, unfortunately, but I would say, you know, by the way, it's been taken over by digital nomads um, in the, I mean, there's a huge number of people who figured out that there was like, this is the place to kind of live and work from mm -hmm. remotely. And so there are tons and, and Bali's actually kind of starting to do something about there's so many people living there who um, enjoy the great inexpensive food and then fantastic color and, and everything. They're very tolerant. And so anyway, Bali is a great introduction to Asia. And lastly, if you want to go somewhere in Asia that's been the most undeveloped, most protected, the, the least changed, uh, with the, I would say the most, uh, the most shock. There are parts of India that would do that, but India is a real, um, it's a real shock. You have to kind of, it's really overwhelming, but Myanmar, Burma, it would be the third location that, um, they have a little bit of troubles right now, but by and large, if you know, if the troubles subside, go to Myanmar, and and it's um, not incredibly westernized. Pretty recently, they have better infrastructure for travel, though it's a little rough. Um, and if you get into the countryside, it's very much of a time machine. Mm -hmm. Me and my wife love to travel, and Asia is near the top of the list right now. Has, do your do your kids live in the U.S. or do they live in Asia? They live in the U.S. My daughter is actually married to Japanese American, so I have in laws in Japan now. Um, what, um, so my my um, my that daughter lives near us. 
my other daughter lives in uh, Greece, an island on Greece. And my son lives in New York. So we're kind of spread around the world. What island in Greece? Tinos. Very cool. Which is near Mykonos. Nice. With um, with some of your work, I mean, you've you've been associated with or worked on so many different projects and papers and books mm -hmm. and movies over mm -hmm. time. I saw you were also credited in some movies and I saw The Matrix Revisited and yep. Keanu Reeves had, I guess he had read one of your books. And they were required to read uh, the, the directors who are now tw uh, sisters had um, directed the uh, uh, actors to read my book out of control um it was not clear to me from the first movie why but by the third movie i understood <laughs> did you have any communication with them or no. kiana no no i had no no communication i did work on a film with spielberg and um had you know a limited encounter with him but um was that minority report with... yep mm -hmm. very cool with um with your art where do you find the inspiration for your art so for a year i did art every day with um an ipad procreate hand drawing things then this past year uh, i've done every day with ai art and in both cases i sit down without any idea usually of what i'm going to do and i'm just trying to surprise myself mm -hmm. i'm saying surprise me so i'll you know start with a line or maybe there's a color or something and i'll just keep going until i do something that i find surprising and so that's so i don't know where the inspiration comes just sort of from all my visual input but what i'm trying to do is to do something surprising that i haven't done before or seen before or even thought of before very cool with um with your own life and career <clears throat> and i don't even know if you call it a career but right. you dropped out of school in the early 70s and now you know you've done so many things in mm -hmm. your life like how do you look at all the things you've accomplished or been on or achieved well my wife helps me to be modest because she she's not impressed with me <laughs> i would say <laughs> she hasn't read my books or anything um i would say uh with a bit of advice from this book here, the excellent advice, which is I've been attending funerals recently because of my age. And I was struck by what they would say, what the eulogies would be at the, for the departed. They did not talk about all that they achieved, the many books that they wrote, the patents that they got, the awards that they got. That was not ever brought up. Well, the only thing people talked about was how that person made them feel, mm -hmm. what kind mm -hmm. of a person they were while they were doing these things. And so my achievements, I, I, I'm not focused on those. I'm trying to focus on what kind of a person I am while I'm doing it, because that's much more important. And in fact, I do the things not to achieve them, but just for the joy of making them. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. about, that's why. And, you know, my Asia book, which is a huge Kickstarter achievement, it was really great. It was the second highest 
uh, earning a nonfiction book at Kickstarter. Um, I did it. I mean, I made the book for myself. Yep. I literally made one copy, a prototype version. And once I had that, it was like, I am satisfied. This is what I want. I am the audience for this. I'll print up a bunch of others if people want them. We'll do the Kickstarter. If they want to have them, that's fine. But this is made for me. So it was my, it was my joy, my, my thing. And that was the achievement. Um, and so same with writing books, same with doing this. This, I also prototype everything, prototype your life. <laughs> this, this is for me. I'm, I wrote it down for me first and then for my kids. And so, um, the achievement part of it is not as crucial to me as what kind, what I'm, what I am becoming. Yep. I think that's a big, I mean, that's a great way to look at it. And I, that's kind of how I thought about your life. Like if you want to call right, it a right. career or whatever things you've done, you've kind of done them all for your joy. You've kind of done them because right. you're interested in them or you like them right. and or right, you're right. curious about them. So for my next question, what are you doing now? Like what's, what are you yeah, yeah. curious about now? Or, you know, right, right. what brings you joy? It's, it's a great question. So um, soon as in the next couple of weeks, I'll finish the promotion for this excellent advice book. And I'm on to my next five-year project, which is um, I've been working on for a year without much progress. But what it is, is um, I'm doing something I call the 100-year desirable future or protopia is my code word for it. Proto not utopia, but protopia. And the 100 Year Desirable Future is I'm trying to optimistically imagine a world that's full of ubiquitous AI. We've got very workable genetic engineering. Um, we have um, constant surveillance in the metaverse, mirror worlds. We have all this stuff, and yet it's a world that I want to live in. Mm -hmm. It's easy to imagine all that in a you know dystopian world, right? Where it's horrible and nothing works, Gattaca and all this kind of stuff. Um, so I'm trying to imagine a version of it that's optimistic and that I want to live in. And so that's that's the project, and 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 I'm doing it with ten year increments. Okay, so hundred years, so like. 10 year, 20 years. So what that, what that would look like in those. So to have a history of 10 years. So, um, um, trying to actually make a very plausible and it's not a prediction. I'm not predicting this is where we're going. I'm just saying, this is what I would like. Do you know so if it'll be a video series or will it be a book or I don't know. Yeah. It's unlikely to be a book. Maybe it's a game, maybe it's video, maybe it's um, maybe it's a spreadsheet. I have no idea. <laughs> All right, final question. With your book, Excellent Advice for a Living, and I mean, I love how you talk about being an optimist. Anyways, what is some of the life advice you would like people to hear and kind of to live by? Like what if you had one piece of advice for them? Well, I don't have one piece of advice, but like if you... If you if you don't if it's all possible, I'd suggest you work in an area, whether it's a job or your own hobby, or whatever, 
work in an area where they don't have words for what it is that you're doing, where it takes some time to explain to your mother what it is that you do, where it's different enough that there's no language and no names for your occupation. It's kind of like if you were involved in 15 years ago in podcasting, you'd be explaining, well, it's kind of like <laughs> radio, but not quite radio. It's like a interview in a magazine, but it's like a documentary, but it's just audio. Anyway, now we know, but 15 years ago, that would have been the place to be working. And so um, you're much more likely to find something that only you can do. You're much more, you're less likely to have competitors. Um, it's more likely that that's where a breakthrough would be happening right on the edge of what's we have language for. But yeah, so work somewhere. And that thing that made you weird as a kid, <laughs> you make it great as an adult if you don't lose it. So, you know, keep, keep that, you know, that difference, that otherness, that strange thing, um, because we're in an economy where you want to think different. And that's hard when you're connected to everybody else in the world 24 hours a day with your sure. phone. And so thinking and being different, that's also, by the way, why uh, we want to use AI, because AI does not think like us. Um, and so I think that's, you know, dabble in AI because it'll help you think differently. Yeah. And that's sort of where we're headed. You want to be out there um, where you're not just aiming to be the best, but you're aiming to be the only, only things that you find easy to do, other people find hard. That's um, that's where you want to gravitate to. It's if you're young, you're not going to know exactly what it is that you can do that others can't. It'll take most of your life to figure that out, but you can head in that direction. So this is not a destination. Nobody ever arrives there completely done. You keep going in that direction of trying to see who you are becoming. You want to become truly yourself. And by the way, you can't truly become yourself by yourself. It takes the entire world to help you make unique. Right? You can't become unique unless you have everyone else help. It's just mm -hmm. this paradox. You, you, you can't truly become this individual, self-reliant, uh, only person by yourself. Okay? And so... Um, you need people around you to help you see who you're becoming. Yeah. And, um, but you want to be on that trajectory. You want to head in that direction of um, not in a category of one where um, you're, it's really hard to describe what you're, what you're doing. I love it. That's a great advice. And you're right. Like we need others, you know, it's not like we're going to oh, yeah. do it by yourself, but you know, finding your own path that you enjoy to do. And I know it's, you know, easier said than done for people at times, but, um, I've truly enjoyed your work. Um, I love thinking that I'm an optimist, <laughs> you know, even though some things don't always go to plan, there are opportunities for the future. So Kevin, man, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Um, I can't wait for this to come out and for people to hear you. Well, thank you so much. I really, really greatly appreciate your offer. I love your spirit. Thank you for asking great questions. It was a delight. And, and I appreciate the opportunity to share stuff about my book, Excellent Advice for Living. I hope others find it 
useful to them. Yes, sir. And that'll, that'll all be in the show notes for people to get it. So um, again, thank you and enjoy the rest of your Memorial Day with whatever you want to do. (laughs) Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, click subscribe on your listening platform for upcoming conversations.